Hey, Exponential, this is Peyton Jones, and I am here for this book tour today with an unlikely fighter, Greg Steer, who's written a book by the same title, Unlikely Fighter. And uh, Greg, good to have you on here, man. I know you're a champion for unleashing this generation with the gospel. You also are the founder of Dare to Share Ministries, but I like our audience to get to know you just a little bit more. Tell us who you are, man. What's your story? Yeah, you know, I live in Colorado. Proud of living in Colorado. I love the state. I was a um, raised in inner city of Denver. You know, every city's got a city. You know, Lincoln, Nebraska's got an inner city. Every I was raised in the inner city of Denver and uh, high crime rate kind of family. Uh, three of my uncles were competitive bodybuilders. The fourth one was a bouncer at the toughest bar in Denver. The fifth one was a Golden Gloves boxer, judo champion, war hero. My mom was the only girl in the group, and they were all afraid of her and. She used a baseball bat. I was born out of wedlock, never knew my biological father. And, you know, the Denver Mafia, the small don'ts, nicknamed my uncles the Crazy Brothers. Uh, they weren't organized crime. They were disorganized crime. They fought everything that moved. And uh, a hillbilly preacher nicknamed Yankee planted a church in the suburbs of Denver and at a dare reached my toughest family member, my Uncle Jack, who in and out of jail his whole life, once for choking two cops unconscious at the same time. And... He put his faith in Christ and the dominoes began to fall. And one church radically transformed uh, my entire family. I was like a young Sheldon in the hood. I was just a nerdy little kid, terrified of my family, terrified of my neighborhood. And uh, never, never again, didn't know my dad. When I found Christ, I found my heavenly father. I, I got involved with this preacher's uh, ministry. His, again, his nickname is Yankee, even though he was from the deep south. Um, and he trained us and equipped us how to share the gospel. It was an independent fundamentalist kind of church, uh, but changed my, my whole family. And uh, so grateful for that. Uh, started a church in 1989, back when Elmer Towns was about the only thing on church planning out there. Me and my friend, Rick Long, uh, dumb and dumber, planted church, never went to seminary. And I wasn't even married when I started the church. So it was like, here's our pastor. Here's his girlfriend. I'm like, hey, how you doing? So it was a little awkward, but I got married. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Debbie, now for 31 years. And we have two children, uh, Jeremy and Kaylee, both love Jesus. And now leading Dare to Share for the last 30 years. Started Dare to Share and was planting a church all at the kind of same time. And training equipped mil with millions of teens, uh, youth leaders across the nation, around the world, how to share the gospel, how to be lovingly uh, unashamed of the gospel. So I'm grateful for my independent fundamentals background, scraped out the legalism, spackled the cracks with grace and the Holy Spirit. And that's what dare to share. That's what we do now, train, equip, and mobilize. So that's well, me. Very cool. Very cool, man. I, I, I'm i really impressed that you planted a church when you're 10 because uh, anyone listening <laughs> to a, a, a podcast this is a webinar. But if you're listening to a podcast, it doesn't look old enough to, to plant something 30 years ago. And uh, but, you know, it's funny how you mentioned about, hey, dumb and dumber had had no idea what I was doing. I love church planning because I think the whole thing is amateur hour. I think that's what that's where the good stuff's at. It's you and the Holy Spirit, 12 knuckleheads yep. in the book of Acts, chapter one, Acts, chapter two, Holy Spirit. Just just add the third person, the Trinity, and bam, the magic happens. But you've got this book now. It's called the, uh, or it's called Unlikely Fighter. Um, I think you kind of tipped your hand a little bit, but explain the meaning behind that title. 
Well, yeah, because, you know, it was really, you know, my family were fighters, like literal fighters. My, my most vivid memory of my childhood was when I was five years old and my mom took a baseball bat to a guy's car that she had married that left us and she I mean, destroyed it. And he got out and she destroyed him. And they go, you know, why is my mom so full of rage? And also thinking, I will never disobey my mom ever. Because she did it all without a cigarette ever leaving her mouth, which I was super impressed by. <laughs> and uh, my, I was again, raised my by mom, a single mom, too. You don't mess with yeah, single moms. Don't mess with single mom. And uh, and my uncles were fighters. And you know, it was a high crime rate area. So I saw a lot of blood shed growing up. But I was this kid, this scared little kid, that one by one saw my family members transformed by the gospel. And as I grew to my teen years, I began to realize, you know what? I have a fight to fight too. And it's not with flesh and blood. It's for the souls of the lost. And so the unlikely fighter, you know, in that story is me, you know, just because I wasn't a brawler, not a bodybuilder, wasn't a street fighter, but I had a different fight to fight. And it was a fight for lost souls. And that's why I ended up, you know, planting a church and, and starting dear to share, um, because it's it's a different fight that we're in, you know. So it's twenty. The book the book is I got one here. It's twenty two chapters long. The first twenty one happen uh, before I turned sixteen, and the last one's kind of a catch up chapter. But I love what Samuel Rodriguez he wrote uh, this. We put this on the back. Beyond the brawls, bruises, and blood splattered across the pages of this hard to put down book is a story of a scared, scarred little kid on a journey to find his identity. And uh, one of the things that happened, Peyton, is I was, uh, when I was about six years old, my grandparents for Christmas and all my uncles, cousins are there, aunts, we had a huge family. And uh, we're about to wrap up. I'm standing in the corner, just like normal, quiet, just opening up my presence. My uncle Dave, who was a war hero, literally five bullet wounds and a bayonet scar that he not only survived, but he killed the guy that gave it to him. Uh, in the war and rescued another American soldier, a true war hero. Um, says I got one more present. It's for little Greg. And I walked over and, you know, nobody had ever noticed me like that in our family. It whispered about me, but didn't notice. I took the present. I opened it up. It was a girl's doll. And I thought it was a mistake. I go, well, it's a girl's doll. And he goes, yeah, I figured you don't have a dad. So you like to play with dolls like a little girl. He said it in front of my whole family. And I shoved it in his stomach. I go, ain't no girl. And I walked back and my uncles were like, oh, did you see the temper on him? Maybe he's one of us after all. Uh, Well, it sent me into a spiral and a search. And you can ask any of my family members from the time I was six, I was really serious about finding out why am I here? What is my purpose? I used to study the little King James version of my little red Bible underneath the kitchen sink with the flashlight, trying to figure it out. And a few years later, um, I heard the clear gospel that Jesus died for my sins and rose again and by faith in him you have eternal life and everything you know that began to click stuff into place so it's really about the whole journey you know why am i here who's my father um and all those kind of tough questions and it's a good guy's book too because i know a lot of guys don't read memoirs but this is more like an action movie because of my uncles so pretty intense that's that's awesome i love the fact that you um kind of own like you know you're not like hey I was this big, tough guy, you know, I was, I mean, I, I love the fact that you're just like, Hey, look, I, I, you're telling a story. You're telling a story. That's, that's real, right? Kids are often caught up in this stuff, caught up in violence. 
I grew up in a violent home and a violent mm. background. So um, I actually find it very refreshing that you're just being real about it and not yeah. trying to, you know, it's funny because I can tell by your story, you're not trying to be the hero of your story um, right. already. And so many guys when they write biographies, they're, they're trying to be the hero, but I can already tell you're an evangelist to the core and you want to promote Christ in this thing. But um, I want to ask you, you know, um, you mentioned that you felt like an outsider in your family. Um, what encouragement can you offer to others who might feel similarly in their own homes like an outsider? Well, I think, you know, God loves to use the outsiders. I mean, he, I love 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Think of you when you were called brothers, not many were rich or noble, or uh, God chooses the, uses the unusable, the, the poor. You know, the things that the world considers foolish to confound the wise so that no one may boast before him. And so you look at the disciples, which you already mentioned. I mean, outsiders. I mean, and and by the way, just to make a case for teenagers, uh, they were mostly teenagers. If you look in Matthew 17, 24 through 27, check my exegesis on this, right? Peter and Jesus and the disciples go to Capernaum, but only Peter and Jesus pay the temple tax. You cross from that with Exodus chapter 30, verse 14. The temple tax is only for those 20 years old and older. And so I looked at that. I was like, Jude was a youth leader with one adult sponsor and one really rotten kid named Judas and no budget. And with that youth group, he changed the world. So in this whole process of talking to pastors and church planners, I always say, do not forget and do not underestimate the power of the gospel and the potential of young people. If we miss the next generation, we miss the movement because teens come to Christ quicker. They spread the gospel faster and farther than adults. Um, so we we miss teens. We miss the movement. I agree. I agree. Yeah, teens are, uh, I mean, God specifically has used young people, right? I mean, Wesley was a pup, right? Um, the apostles, the 12, they, they weren't long in the tooth, right? They were, they were, they were uh, spring chickens, all of them. But... Uh, you mentioned, you know, after Christ radically transformed your family, um, you guys became passionate about sharing the gospel. What fuels your families? And first off, I would love to hear some of, you know, your family's story, because, I mean, you mentioned that they came to Christ. Um, I would love to hear the transformation that happened yeah. in them and what, you know, because guys like that are going to tear it up, right? <laughs> if they were a force to be reckoned with, just in the neighborhood, they're going to definitely be a force to be reckoned with once they come to Christ. Tell me a little bit about what happened with them when they got saved, and then what's fueling their fierce desire to tell others about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think of my Uncle Jack, and for those of you watching, here's just a, here's a picture of my Uncle Jack right there. Um, he looks like the Wolverine. I mean, I know some of you can't see it, you're listening, but Yankee went to his door on a dare from a guy named Bob Daly that did, you know, Bob Daly knew my family, but was too afraid to share the gospel with him. Goes to his door, knocks on the door. Um, Yankee uh, says, hey, I'm here on a dare from Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. My Uncle Jack's got no shirt on, tats everywhere, two beer cans. Like, uh, all right, I, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Bob. I'll give you five minutes. And sits down and explains the gospel in a way that he had never heard that Jesus loved sinners, that Jesus died for sinners, that it wasn't by being good. It was by being a sinner, knowing you're a sinner and knowing you need a savior. And he, he asked Michael Jack, does that make sense? And Michael Jack said, hell yeah. That was a sinner's prayer was hell. Yeah. He trusted Christ, went to the meatpacking place where he worked the next day, led another bodybuilder named Thumper to Christ. 
went over to his house every night to his his tough Italian Catholic family. And every, every night for two weeks, all of them put their faith in Christ. Uh, Uncle Jack brought 250 people out to Yankees church in one month, mostly bodybuilders, street fighters. Um, I mean, he walked into a Mormon church on Sunday morning and said, where's the newcomer Sunday school class. And my uncle Jack went in there and 25 new Mormons getting trained in Mormonism. He says, I got a testimony. He stands up and he gives a gospel, gave an invitation, and 18 of the 25 new Mormons indicated faith in Christ. So that's just one of my uncles. I mean, it's just this story, this book is full of stories that as a kid, when you watch the radical transformation from one, you know, an uncle that you're terrified of, that all of a sudden becomes a force in the hands of the living God. And there wasn't, it wasn't instant sanctification. Uh, there was some messiness. I mean, for a while there, you know, when Uncle Jack shared, if you didn't take Jesus, he may give you Moses right upside the head. You know, there was some, there may or may have not been some forced coer- conversions in there, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, they grew, it took time. It was messy and it was beautiful. And uh, my Uncle Bob, he had actually had trusted Christ as a kid, rebelled against God, 25 years old, 6'3", 280, bouncer to the toughest bar in Denver, was a pipe fitter. Carried, he's the only guy at his job that could carry 500-pound pipes around by himself. Think about that. Huge, freakishly strong man. Got in a fight with a uh, guy that stabbed his best friend, Doug Johnson, five times. Killed him. I mean, the guy's heart stopped. They arrested him, threw him in the back of the squad car. He saw the EMTs trying to re- resuscitate this guy. Called out to God, God, if they resuscitate him, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm serving you. And they did eventually. And he went on to go to Florida Bible College, where he graduated from, and his wife serving the Lord as a pipe fitter for 35 years in St. Louis. So, I mean, boom, 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 the power of the gospel. I, I, I think this is to tie it back into the audience. I think sometimes we forget the power of the gospel message. You know, we all, we've all heard that quote, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. I've adjusted it some preach the gospel. It's necessary. Use words. The message of the gospel. I don't know how God infused divine power into a stick that Moses used to open the Red Sea. I don't know how God infused divine power into a message that we proclaim that can change lives. And of course, we want to live it. We want to give it, right? We don't want to just give it out verbally. We want to live it out. I don't want to fly in a one-winged airplane, right? So we need a lifestyle of the gospel advancing, but also articulating it. But I saw the power of that, the articulated message of the gospel in a clear way to absolutely transform me and my, my entire family. So you you write about this cast of characters, but who's your favorite family member to introduce readers to in the writing of this memoir? That's a hard one. Um, it could be my big brother, Doug. Um, my big brother, seven years older than me, epilepsy. extreme learning disabilities, mocked a lot, spent six months in a mental institute because he vandalized the next door neighbor's house. He had just so much frustration. This is back in the seventies when learning disabilities were not diagnosed. He was just mocked, relentlessly mocked and made fun of. And in that mental institute, he had his Bible and he came out on fire for Christ. And um, for the last, you know, 30 years, 30 plus years, he's lived in Ankeny, Iowa and is still faithfully sharing the gospel of Christ. Uh, he had to retire from his job as a custodian um, because he's got an early onset of dementia. But one thing he has not forgotten is Jesus. And, you know, I could get a 
call from him during the webinar because he calls me all the time and he loves the Lord. He tells people relentlessly about him. And so I thought, man, growing up, the reason I'm doing Dare to Share is I, my brother could do it. I knew I could do it. I knew anybody could share the gospel of Christ. So he's well, that, my hero. That kind of leads into my next question, which is, you know, you're, you're writing your story. You're writing your family's story. What's the hope that people pick this book up and they read it? What's your hope? What, what do you want the reader to experience and what do you hope this book does for them? I want them to <clears throat> really believe in the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel to reach that person, that neighbor, that family member, that one that seems unreachable um, is reachable. Um, and so to, to really understand that, but also the power of the gospel to transform them personally. Um, you know, somebody once said, I preach the gospel to myself every day because I forget it every day. And I think it was the power of the gospel, not only saved my family, but, and saved me, but it really helped me find my identity, belonging, and purpose, you know, um, change, transform me personally, still transforming me to this day. Uh, I also would you know, kind of a secondary is the potential of youth because again, because most of this happens when I'm young, I, I think the church has forgotten about the power and potential of teenagers and youth ministry. I really do. I, I've, I feel that far too many church planners go right from seminary to plant a church. I think it's good to do time as a youth leader first um, to learn how to say yes, sir, to learn how to work within a system to learn how to try to keep the attention of middle schoolers um, and see the potential of young people and not just doing typical youth ministry, but we call it gospel advancing, uh, not just gospel centered. Gospel centered sounds like just a bunch of people sitting around watching Matt Chandler videos. You know, we want to advance it, not just what exit, just exegete it. We want to execute it. You know, like, let's do this. Let's reach our neighbors. Let's reach our family. Let's lean into the awkward. So I'm, I'm hoping people walk away with a, a really a, a renewed uh, excitement about the power of the gospel and the potential of young people. So if, if you were, you know, someone picks up your book and they read this and they get inspired, what do you give people um, at Dare to Share? Um, what do you give people as kind of like the next thing, the next step, like, hey, or, or the first thing, May, you know, a lot of people have never led someone else to Jesus. How do you, how do you help them? You train them. I mean, I, I, there is a huge deficit right now in the church on training people to share the faith. This is not in the book, but let me just, it is, it is with between the lines. I think we are so dependent on a come and see mentality in youth ministry and the church that we're going to miss this generation. We have to combine come and see with go and get, go and tell, go and engage. When you combine come and see with go and tell, it's like nitrogen and glycerin. Um, you know, I think like Alpha, I love Alpha. It's like a great come and see strategy. But we have to combine that with let's go and let's talk to our neighbors. That means you need to know how to have a what we call a takeoff to touchdown gospel conversation. Most pastors that I've met don't know how to do that. They've because they've not been trained to do that. So we use a very simple thing at Dare to Share called takeoff to touchdown. How do you begin a gospel conversation? You ask, admire, admit. You ask questions. You admire what you can about what they believe. You admit the reason you're a Christian is you're so messed up. You needed Jesus to save you. 
tell your story. Then you get your flight plan, which is the gospel message. We actually use an acrostic that we train teenagers and heck, I've trained tons of churches in this. G-O-S-P-L, God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. The P is paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. And then land the plane. Does that make sense? Is there anything holding you back from trusting in Jesus right now? So online, I got a little thing. It's called a four-minute crash course in sharing the gospel that basically lays that out and really try to simplify evangelism. So we have, a, we have an app called Life in Six Words that a lot of students use, a lot of adults use. And if you can swipe and read, you can share the gospel. But our goal is to take away the excuses. And so whatever, you know, I don't go in, you can use whatever method you want. Uh, but I don't go into a steak restaurant for the plate. I go for the steak. So as long as you're preaching the gospel clearly, serve whatever, you use whatever plate you want to do that. We got a lot of cool plates up there to share, but as long as the gospel's clear, we're like, go, go, go. But training. So any pastors listen to this, if you think people are going to naturally bring the gospel up and explain it to their friends, you're living in a dream world. It's not going to happen. They need inspiration and they need equipping, you know? So I really encourage, you know, dive in, you know, get a hold of, even though don't think just as dare to share is, is, Youth, just youth stuff. This is stuff again. I tra- I trained a one tour at Promise Keepers, almost two hundred thousand men how to share the gospel. I mean, it's this stuff is church wide, even though we're we're bullseye focused on youth ministry at Dare to Share. So you mention in the book that effective evangelism is equal parts relational and relentless. Can you unpack that a bit? Yeah. So thank the Lord, I married a somebody who's super relational because I'm super relentless when it comes to the gospel. Uh, Somebody says it's hot in here. I said, it's hot in hell too. No, I don't do that. Um, But my wife is very relational and, and I've come to see it like a teeter totter. Um, All of us are either more relational or more relentless when it comes to evangelism. And it's okay. We just ask the Holy spirit to sit on the other side of the teeter totter. Right. He'll give the more relational people uh, more boldness, right? He'll give the more relentless people more love and an ability to listen. So just ask ask the Holy Spirit and he, he'll balance you out. So you, I mean, you are clearly an evangelist, right? That is clearly your uh, makeup on the Ephesians 4. I don't know if you even believe like apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic shepherd and teacher. If you, if you, yeah, are, are you a, a subscriber to that magazine? <laughs> uh, a few of those. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm just, I'm just checking where you stand. So, so within the missional community, a lot of people would say, we don't believe in apostles like the 12. They were called the 12 because there's only yeah. 12 of those guys, right? Like they did what they did. Right. Okay. Um, but that you still have people that, you know, apostolic means sent one or missionary or whatever. And uh, so you have missionaries, you know, you have people where they're all about the pioneers and planners often tend to fall within that, but they don't have to, right? You have more prophetic leaders, people that are more about the presence of God, the gifts of the spirit. They have leaders like yourself that are evangelists. And for you, it's all the gospel go, 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 right? And so when you when you serve and you start looking at different flavors of leaders, some are shepherds, they're the touchy-feely relational guys, like you mentioned. And then you got your teachers like Keller or Lloyd Jones or some of those guys where it's just all about theology and, and doctrine. Mm-hmm. 
So kind of understanding your flavor a little bit, um, what is your, when you walk into a church, uh, what's the thing you think when you look at a congregation? What, what stirs within you? Okay, two things. One is I'm going to give the gospel no matter what, because there's probably lost people. I preached at a church uh, here in my hometown, and we uh, yesterday we had eight people indicate faith in Christ. So I always give the gospel. When I was a pastor, March 12, 1989, when he planted Grace Church in Nevada, Colorado, I said, we're gonna, you're going to hear the gospel every week, no matter what. We'll do expository preaching, but at the end, we're going to, boom, give the gospel. And to this day, that's happened. And every week, people come to Christ. And that's why 62% of that church to this day uh, came to Christ. And it's a couple thousand church through the people reaching people or bringing people out. So um, secondly, I want to equip the believer in some way to share the gospel. Uh, when I was a kid, I listened to a, um, I used to doodle stadiums because I wanted to be the next Billy Graham, right? Like every evangelist dream. And I heard Billy Graham in an interview say, basically, you know, we've done it bigger and better than anyone since the early church, and we really haven't made a dent. He didn't say it like that, but it was basically what he said. I'm like, well, Billy Graham didn't make a dent. I'm not going to make a dent because I ain't no Billy Graham. But then I thought, you know, what if, what if instead of doing evangelism in those stadiums, those arenas, those churches, you actually equip people to share the gospel? And so I heard uh, Dr. John Maxwell one time say, even the shyest person will influence 10,000 others in their lifetime. And it hit me. Everybody's going to fill at least a small arena with a number of people they're going to influence over their life. And it hit me in Ephesians that the real role of the evangelist is not to do the evangelism, to do all the evangelism. It's to equip God's people for works of service. And so dare to share our role this last Saturday. We had 1,300 churches, 47 states four countries simultaneously trained, equipped, and mobilized for the gospel. They're teenagers, dare to share live, free event, but mobilized, man, coast to coast, from the city to the suburbs, kids sharing Christ with their friends via our Life in Six Words app, going out, doing service projects, sharing the gospel in the process. It was awesome. Awesome. And I'm like, why can't the church at large do this? The adults should be setting the pace for the teens, but uh, you know, again, God loves to use the unlikely to accomplish the impossible. So, yeah, I mean, we're, I just throw it out there. Check out, check out dare to share.org pastors, church planners. We're like Liam Neeson and taken. We have a very particular set of skills and it's to help you help your people evangelize. Yeah, that's, that's good. So most Christians listening to this, they have a loved one, uh, who's not a believer in Christ. Um, I mean, for me this year, uh, my brother and my nephew came to faith in the same week. I've been sharing the gospel with my brother for years and years and years. Super intellectual, but a rough character um, with a rough background. And uh, he came to faith actually on my birthday, unbeknownst to me. So I thought that was kind of cool. A little sovereign power of God winking at him. He'd read all these science books and I would I would tell him, hey, when it happens for you, it's not going to it's not going to be through you reading something. It's gonna be something that happens to you. God's just gonna get a hold of you and you're not gonna know what, what, what's going on because you know all the right stuff. You just need to surrender to it. And uh, we could talk very freely, but um, but then his, his son came to faith the same week, unbeknownst to him. So God's been ripping through 
my family right now, um, many, many years after he already saved a ton of them in the beginning, but there, there were some holdouts. So reading your book, um, Unlikely Fighter, um, what do you think that'll do for people in the same boat with family members or just holding out? Yeah, well, my family, they, there were some holdouts in my family. My mom was one of them. She never thought God could forgive her because she she almost aborted me. She drove from Denver to Boston when she found out she was pregnant. She met my biological father at a party. They partied. She got pregnant. He got transferred. She drove from Denver to Boston to abort me, changed her mind last minute, came back. She would just burst into tears when she looked at me. I'm, you know, my Uncle Jack saved, my Uncle Bob saved. I'm saved. I'm trying to work on my ma. And uh, it took three years, uh, you know, and my Uncle Richard, it took 12. I mean, when my grandfather died, I was 15 years old. All my uncles came to me, except for Richard, who was still not a believer. And they're like, we want you to give the sermon at grandpa, uh, at dad's funeral, my grandfather. I was like, guys, what are you talking about? I'm 15. And they're like, we're, we know you'll give it clear. And we're not asking. I'm like, okay. So I, I preached, there was like 500 people, tons of people came to Christ. I had everybody bow their head and close their eyes and raise their hands. My uncle Richard, what do you he wouldn't even bow his head. He just shook his head like, you ain't getting me, boy. And uh, it took 12 years of praying, you know, caring for him, sharing the gospel, 12 years of awkward gospel conversations, changed subjects, snide remarks, 12 years of not giving up. And uh, I would just encourage people to pray, like Jesus said, pray and don't give up. Just keep going for it. You know, we have a saying that dare to share awkward is awesome. It's in the crucible of awkward where lives are changed. You know, Jesus was the king of kings and the prince of awkward. I mean, <laughs> always leaning into that. So just don't give up. Be loving, be kind, be relational, be relentless until they come to Christ. That is how evangelists do it, right? You, you, you got to have a certain degree of, yeah, I, I love you enough to care about what you think, but then I also love you enough not to care what you think. And I think there's a good balance there. The book, not to get too far away from where you start off here, you, you document some unthinkable violence, but then some unbelievable hope. Why do readers, and I want to leave our audience with this as kind of your final word on the book, why do readers need to hear a message like that today? Because it's real. I mean, there is a, there's, you know, there are kids right now in households that are witnessing unbelievable violence whose mom and dad need transformed by the power of the gospel. There are people in your neighborhood. Um, and by the way, I think strategically, when Jesus said, you know, I, I preach the gospel to the poor, I don't think it was just being nice. I think it was strategic. Poor people come to Christ quicker, spread the gospel faster, farther. I'd really encourage people to start thinking about the apartment complexes and trailer courts. That's where I was raised in apartment complexes and trailer courts in a very poor family that was very receptive to the gospel once they heard it clearly. And so don't just look for that demographic that can fund your ministry. Look for the demographic that will fuel your ministry. And who will fuel are those who are, are going to bring others out and share the good news. People like my family. Uh, that I write, write about an unlikely fighter. That's really good. Well, my guest has been Greg Steer, and the uh, book 
is Unlikely Fighter. Great title. Love your story, man. Feel like already just in this brief couple minutes here that we we got a flavor for your family. Some of these characters, some of these people, they sound like they were fun and uh, good to know. So thanks for sharing your story, man. And thanks for being an evangelist and going after it, man. We we definitely need that in the body of Christ today. Appreciate you coming on. So the ministry that Greg leaves, uh, leads is uh, Dare to Share. Um, where can they get in touch, Greg, with Dare to Share Ministries? Yeah, if they just go to the website, it's daretoshare.org. And it's number two, daretoshare.org. I also have a blog, gregsteer.org. They want to find out more about uh, youth ministry and stuff like that. And it's just, yeah, a lot of free resources, free curriculum, free books downloads all sorts of free events that we we provide well free is the church plants favorite number so although you all you church planners out there there's uh there's resources there's free and uh but definitely pick up the book unlikely fighter again my guest has been greg steer this is exponential this has been a book tour webinar thanks for joining us today and we'll see you next time at exponential <music>